Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me in the book of Genesis to chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. When I was a child, I paid attention in class, much like some of you. And perhaps you did it for the very same reason I did it, and it wasn't for the love of learning. It was because you knew that a test was coming. Judgment Day. Did you listen? Did you integrate this understanding into your mind? But worse than that was the end of the semester when a final grade was placed on your permanent record. And yet even worse than that... When I would go home and my parents would ask, where's your report card? Christmas vacation, summer vacation, greatly impacted my friends by my performance in school. It is a principle, my friends, that is true even today in my life and also in yours. You better pay attention and listen carefully and apply the truths of the word of God diligently because one day you will stand before him. You today get to make a decision about him and one day he will make a decision about you. Now this is perhaps made nowhere more clear in all of the Old Testament than in the book of Genesis in chapters 6 through 9. This is a familiar account that we are going to study here today, but don't be fooled, my friends. It's not the children's story that you need to take note of. A man in a boat with lots of animals, Noah's Ark. So take a look with me, if you will, as we study this all-important lesson, this truth that God holds people accountable. So take a look with me, if you will, in chapter 6 and verse 1, where we begin to look at the conditions that led to this great flood. I mean, have you ever thought about this? What was it that caused God to say enough? What I'm going to do is I'm going to flood this planet until all these people are dead. Does that sound like God to you? It does to me. It's not the only time that God has judged the wicked in such a powerful way. So take a look with me. We will notice first and foremost, my friends, that the conditions leading to this flood were God's grief over the wickedness of man. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took them as their wives, any as they chose. Now to understand this, this difficult section, understand that some people would suggest that uh, the sons of God 
are angels, perhaps demonic angels, and they have intermarried with humanity. And their argument is this, that if you ruin the line to Christ, there is no Christ. Remember the promise in chapter 3 that is, that is in with the curse given to Eve. You know, you're going to multiply pain in childbirth, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, and that points to Jesus. You mess with that line, and there is no Jesus. No birth, no, no, no life, no death on the cross. And see, so there is a suggestion to that. Preeminently, uh, my friends, the word sons of God, sure, it does refer to angels, Job 38, for example. But my friends, preeminently, it's used for <laughs> Jesus himself. He is the son of God. As noted, it's sometimes used to refer to angels, you know, but it's also sometimes used to speak of followers of Christ, Jesus used the term sons of God to those who were in a relationship of obedience to him. And I would suggest to you what we have here today is you have the righteous intermarrying with the wicked. And God looks at it and says, how? There is, is, there, is there, what is the relationship between light and darkness, my friends? Can there be both? If there is light, intermingling. Hmm. Wow. Now look at verse 3. So we see this, these things going on. And we see that God's patience is running out. Then the Lord said, verse 3, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. And his days shall be 120 years. And the clock begins. 120 years. Man now has left on this earth. His patience runs out. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men... They bore children to them, and these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, great men on the earth. And he regrets, God regrets even making man. Consider this for a moment here, friends, how dark and sad this is, that the Lord looks down on his creation, that at one time he said, it is good. In verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And of course, sin nature, right? We have the divine nature, we have the sin nature. And the sin nature is a craving constantly for selfishness. I want that. I want to have that. I want to taste that. I want to own that. I want to keep that. I, 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 I. Only evil continually. 
Should you suggest that these people were worse than we are today, I would suggest that you were wrong. This is the battle that everyone on this planet battles against, or some have just simply given up in, of overcoming this craving within us. I think about cravings. I think about the people of Israel later down uh, the years in history, my friends. They will, a history from Genesis perspective. God will, has brought them to the land, to the edge of the promised land. And they said, we can never make it. It's too great for us. And so God, uh, Moses said, let's send in six spies. Let's send in some spies. And they'll spy out the land and see if it's not everything that God promised that it would be. God was bringing them to this wonderful land where he would bless them. And they would be a light to the nations. And so, my friends, these spies went in, 40 spies. 40 spies? How many was it? It was 12 spies. They were in for 40 days. And when they came back, they said, it is a beautiful land. It is a fruitful land. It is a wonderful land. But there are people in there, and they're big, and we look like grasshoppers to them. And so all of the people said, we would rather just go back to Egypt. We had all of the food and the fun and the merriments and all of the wonderful things that were available to us in Egypt, where they were slaves, by the way. Property of Pharaoh. Cravings. And because of that, God told them, that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every person of the generation that rejected him died. And he would bring in a new generation. Well, my friends, cravings. Hmm. Every intention of the thoughts of their hearts, only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made them on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. Can you feel this? You say, how does God feel about sin? Oh, he loves everyone. Yeah. Anybody ever heard of the word hell? Lake of fire? Hmm. And so he decides that he's going to kill all of them. Take a look. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will blot out a man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. And yet, just as we would anticipate... Even in the, under the condemnation of God, he shows grace. But, and here is the word that contrasts, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
And so the Lord's grace towards Noah, my friends, we, we started out looking at God's grief over the wickedness of man and interrupted with the Lord's grace towards Noah. So Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. What does it mean he was righteous? What does it mean that he was blameless? He lived according to the revelation he had from God. Perhaps he asked the question, what would God have me do in this circumstance? And then you know what he did? He did it. He didn't argue about it. He did it. And this was his lifestyle. And God showed grace to him. And here in verse 10, we see that Noah had three sons. Shem, everybody say Shem. Remember that name, friends. Ham and Japheth. Three perhaps odd names, but we know that name Shem because this will be the godly line that leads to Jesus. Shem. Remember last week we talked about anti-Shemites. We didn't pronounce it quite that way, though, do we? But that is it. That is the origin of Semites. Shemites. Funny thing with a Hebrew letter that's translated or understood that way, pronounced that way. And so, friends, we see the Lord's grief toward the wickedness of man, the Lord's grace toward Noah. And now his guidance. This is how God will show grace to Noah. He says, now the earth was corrupt, verse 11, in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so God has announced judgment. And here's an opportunity to repent of your sin and turn to God. And I'll tell you, Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He said this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There are no excuses when you stand before the Lord one day. The great white throne judgment. People may say, I didn't know. I didn't like my church. The music was different than I like. No excuses, my friends. 
What needs to be known about God is very clear to everyone on the planet. It is what you do with that truth that matters. And so God gave Noah some instruction. He said, verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you were to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. How long a cubit is? It's about 18 inches. Think from the elbow to the fingers. Everybody go home and measure your elbow to the fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Measuring in cubits. Hmm. 300 cubits, it's breadth, breadth, 50 cubits, and it's height 30 cubits. And make a roof for the ark and finish it into a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. And everything that is on this earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark. You, your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female and of the birds according to their kind. And of the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. And to no one's surprise, righteous and blameless Noah Verse 22, Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded to him. Apparently, that was just his perspective. If God says it, I'll do it. How does that match up with you here this morning? God says it, you'll do it. Now, when we talk about the ark, people have all kinds of ideas about this. Perhaps you were introduced to it uh, as a child, and it looked like that. One of my favorite comics looks like this. It says, oh, rats, was that today? (laughs) But what it really looked like was something like this. Yeah, it wasn't a little tub with a giraffe sticking his head out the window, my friends. 450 feet long. Hmm. 75 feet wide, Hmm. 45 feet high. It was an enormous vessel. And uh, how many of you have been down to Kentucky to see this thing? Yeah, the thing is massive. I mean, I forget the guy's name, Answers in Genesis. They took it upon themselves to say, you know what? We're going to build an ark. We know how big it was. We have the design. We, you know, Noah might have been really tall and uh, his cubit might have been a bigger uh, cubit than mine, but they, they took it upon themselves to put this thing together. And that's it. Enormous work. 
120 years he had to build this thing. You say, well, how did he get all those animals into there? I'll tell you what, God brought them. No doubt that God brought them to Noah to unload them up at the right time at the wrong place. Because that's how God works. Now we come to chapter 7 here, my friends. We see the Lord's protection during the flood. We see the passengers going inside the ark. Verse 7, I'm sorry, 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and the seven pairs of birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on this earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And again, notice the pattern. Verse 5, And Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. Imagine. You're seeing a pattern up till this point of people living decades. Oh, forget the decades. Let's talk about centuries. I mean, Adam lived like 960, 30 years, I think it was. But that all is about to end. Sure, they're going to live longer maybe than me. But you won't see those kinds of long, long ages anymore. Everything's about to change. And so there they are boarding the ark. Verse 10. And seven days after the water of the flood came upon the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life and in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, you say, rain. I mean, we've had a lot of rain. And sure, it floods and it's inconvenience and we've got to shut down a road or two. How is it possible that it rains for 40 days and floods the whole earth? Well, here's the answer right here. And on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. See, the water came both from the heavens and from under the earth. And you'll notice here, verse 12, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, I'm sorry, we skipped this. And the windows of heaven were open. One of the things that we noted when we were in the creation chapters is that God had put this canopy of water all the way around the earth. And God opened the window or two, maybe a door here and there. And all of the waters from below the earth and all of the waters from the above the earth came down and flooded the earth. It was almost as if God had planned this from the beginning. 
And the rain fell upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. And on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of the sons of them entered the ark. And they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two, all of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up on the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed. And increasingly greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And notice the depth of this flood. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And so the Lord ordained how high the mountain tops would be covered. Nobody's going to climb a mountain and survive this one. I recall reading while I was in seminary about a study that was done based on the size and shape and the content of this, this ark. And they say that they just... It would, I think it would miss the top of a mountain as far as in the water by like three or four feet. As far as the bottom floating on, it's it just astounding the design of God. And so here we find the result. The result of the flood here in verse 21, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and livestock, beefs, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all of mankind. The wages of sin is death. Hear me when I say this, my friends. The truth pounded over and over and over into our minds throughout all of Scripture is that God will judge the wicked. God will judge the wicked. There is no escape. There is no escape. Everything, verse 22, on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And here's the extent of the flood. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. 
Well, let's wrap it up here, my friends. Hear me when I say this. God will always condemn the wicked and preserve the righteous. This is yet another illustration of the very same thing. Next week, as we celebrate, my friends, the the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the Passover feast that Israel partook of. And they heard the word of God. You take a lamb, a lamb without spot. Don't find the weakling that you didn't want anyway. Bring me your best. And kill the lamb. And take the blood and you apply it. See, this took some understanding. It took some obedience. But all of it was done in faith. And then the angel of death will come over that night. And anyone who does not have that blood applied will die. But all those who hear my words, believe them and act on them, those are the people, my friends, who are saved. This earth is going to be destroyed again. You recall that we studied the book of Revelation this past year. And we learned that there is a day that is coming in which the Lord will return and he will gather his saints and that he will destroy this earth by fire. Yeah, this earth has had a pretty good run, my friends, but it has an expiration date. And in light of these truths, every day that Noah was banging on that wood, putting, what you building? Building an ark? What for? Flood's coming. What's a flood? You see, God is going to destroy humanity because of their wickedness. Cool story, Noah. Going fishing. Day after day, his life was a testimony of the coming judgment. How then should you live? Ignore the mocking of those who chose destruction. Think about this. It had never rained before. There was no need. The mist came up from the ground. Watered all of the plants. Noah said, it's going to rain. They said, what's rain? That man is a fool. Look at him wasting all his time and energy on this thing. Ah, Rain. Nobody's ever heard of that before. Ignore the mockings, my friend of those who choose destruction. I wonder, did did Noah invite anyone? I mean, did he ever spend particularly an amount of time with someone pleading with them? Perhaps his neighbor. You know, they'd say hi and wave to each other all the time and, hey, did you have a good weekend? Good, me too. Or do they get together and say, how are the kids? And I wonder if he ever said, you know, I've got this really big ark, and it's going to rain, and I would hate to see you destroyed in it. There's this flood that is coming. Hmm. Well, friends, you know, judgment comes. Have you invited anyone? 
sat down and talked to him about Jesus? Hmm. Well, my friends, in light of this account, and has it not been raining all week long? And I say, think of the timing. Oh, great, no rain on Sunday. <laughs> what is going on with our mics today? Sorry about that. In light of this, let every rain cloud and drop of rain remind you that judgment comes for those who reject God's way. Go win some. Go and talk to someone about Jesus today. Bring it up. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And lay it out. You never know the difference that effort could make.